0: So in all reality, this could never happen for a whole host of reasons, but uh, let's pretend as part of my religious tradition that at a certain age, I would give my son a brownie. I made this vow before God. My father before me had made the same vow, his father before him. For hundreds of years, we had all agreed That we will give our son a brownie. However, uh, let's say Laura's family, they did not observe this same custom. They would not eat brownies. (laughs) You can probably see why this is rather unrealistic to talk about. Uh, But because Laura did not eat brownies, my son would also, despite this vow, he is not going to eat a brownie. Now, let's continue to imagine that God told me to do something big on his behalf. I don't know, something like uh, move my family and sell all my possessions and go start a church in Park City. So, Laura and I, in preparation for this task given to us by God, have decided to transition our lives from where we are into the city of Park City. But in the midst of our move, I get violently ill, I think I've got the black lung pop, okay? (laughs) And uh, Corona's got me here, so I don't know. This illness has so afflicted me that I cannot acquire the necessary brownie that I need, nor can I give my son this religious treat, this brownie. Uh, This is a horrible example. Okay, I'm too deep into it now to stop. So we're going to keep going. But let's imagine I am on the verge of death. And instead of taking my life insurance, which is what Laura probably would do, uh, Laura knows the only way for me to get better is for her to cut this brownie, serve to me this delectable chocolate dessert, and also give to our son his required... Brownie, A dessert, mind you, that she thinks is barbaric, vile, and anti-religious. Yet, with great contempt and revulsion, she cuts said brownie and throws it at my feet and says, here's your stupid brownie, you jerk. You disgust me. Okay? Keep that story floating there in your cerebellum. We will come back to that in a moment because we're starting a brand new series of messages today called Stranger Things. And what I'm going to attempt to do, you can see we're not off to a great start so far. (laughs) What I'm going to attempt to do is answer the question, what in the world is that doing in here? Because I don't know how much of the Bible you've read, but I frequently come across stories, particularly in the Old Testament, where I'm like, what in the world? Why did that make the cut? And it's like the time that I was in New York and got on the subway, or the few times I've gone to the downtown Y in Wichita, and you cannot unsee some of the things that you have seen in those places. You know what I'm talking about? But I believe if it's weird, it's important. And if it's in the Bible, it's there for a reason. And so we're going to talk about some of the things that have uh, happened and do happen in here. To that point, Exodus chapter 4. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, Exodus is towards the very beginning. Genesis, then Exodus is how it will go. You need the big number 4 for a message I'm calling that awkward marriage moment number 425, subtitled, The Bridegroom of Blood. It's all in there. Let's go. Moses, verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh, all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. She did what now? (laughs) I said she touched Moses' feet with the... Okay. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Okay. Back to the brownies. You can hopefully start to track a little bit the brownies were a metaphor for the flint the fork skin okay and so how the text is weird enough how much more weird would it have been if i would have come out and led with hey this morning we're going to talk about your downstairs parts uh (laughs) that's uncomfortable to even for you to say that right now and uh Yeah, but in fairness, I don't think that's even the weirdest part of the text. What about some of the other stuff that's going on? How about this staff of God? How does one go about procuring themselves one of those? And how does it work? Is it like a lightsaber? How do you handle this alleged staff of God? And what about the miracles that Moses apparently has been given the ability to do? Miracles like... Turn things leprous on demand. Miracles like uh, make the staff turn into a snake and then he speaks parcel tongue. Uh, it's all in there. Read the beginning of chapter four. <laughs> Furthermore, you want to talk about strange. How does God seek to kill anyone? I thought God could kill. You know, like, you know, he's like Chuck Norris. And if you want to, you're going to die, then you die. God doesn't have to seek to kill anyone. Once heard, uh, death had a near Chuck Norris experience. And so like, but even if God did seek to kill something, it seems a bit over dramatic that God would seek to kill Moses based on the fact of a lack of circumcision for on his son. This is not new information to God. I mean, we know from the previous chapters that God has been in dialogue with Moses for quite some time. So it's not like God somehow got a glimpse of Gershom. Uh, That's Moses' son. So it's not like God somehow got a glimpse of Gershom in the firelight on the way to Egypt. And God is like, what is this, Moses? Did you not do the thing with the... And uh, it gets even weirder when you consider that Gershom is probably late teens, early 20s by this point. See, Exodus chapter 2 tells us Moses uh, flees Egypt. He's in the land of Midian, saves Zipporah and her sisters from some bandits, and Zipporah's dad uh, gives Zipporah to Moses as a prize. Congratulations. Thank you for you get her. And Then God, when He does speak to Moses years later from a burning bush, uh, we know that Moses has already got a family by that point. So you can imagine your mom coming to the dorm room freshman year of college. Your roommate walking in a little late and over here in the conversation, and she's got some scissors, and there's about the procedure to take place. And I'll come back later. Okay. Yeah. You guys do what? And uh, that put a little strain on the mother son relationship from that point forward. Uh, <laughs> let's do a little bit of work. What does any of this have to do with anything? How does this relate to Jesus? How does this relate to my life in 2020? Let's figure this out. First of all, Draw well, this down. Every sin has a gotcha and it's eventually going to get you. Every sin has a gotcha and it's eventually going to get you. To say it another way, your sin never affects just you, it always affects the people around you. Moses, by not circumcising his son, had deliberately disobeyed a command that God had given to the Jewish people, which I know on the surface sounds weird, but God had commanded Abraham and all of his future descendants who followed him to be circumcised. Now, this raises a whole host of other questions, particularly uh, why, you know, like what? God, were you thinking here? Why not something that related to men and women both? How about a tattoo? That could have made a a little bit of sense, like, I heart Jesus on the arm. Uh, Why not that? Uh, Why not a piercing? And we could have got super trendy and just did, like, the center part uh, of the left ear. Or um, what about an eyebrow? Maybe just a little nose stud. You know, I've seen some guys with that. That's fine. So, like, why not something like that? Why this? Well, let's look at the command that God gave. It shows up in Genesis chapter 17, and we can chat a little bit about it. Uh, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. That's a big deal. Abraham had no descendants. He's 99. Countless descendants. Then God said to Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant if you uh read some of the the verses that we skipped there you'll find out that god specified his covenant by saying on the eighth day all the males must be circumcised so again why what in the world Well, you can ask God when you get to heaven what he meant to do, but in the meantime, I will try and do my best by saying that, first of all, there is a hygienic reason for circumcision. Science has shown that it is safer in the long run for both the male and his partner. It reduces infections. There's a reduced chance of certain cancers. And so there is a health component that just makes sense to to participate in this. Just for the record, medical research has actually demonstrated that on the eighth day, babies have a spike in vitamin K. Vitamin K produces a substance called prothrombin, which is not easy for me to say. I practice all week. So you're welcome for getting it right. Uh, Thanks, guys. So, uh, but on the eighth day specifically, uh, prothrombin. And prothrombin is what actually allows your blood to clot in the best way possible. And on the eighth day, you have more prothrombin in your body than at any other day in your life. And so in ancient cultures, when there's no medical um, advancements or anything like that, that's a big deal to, to have your blood clot so you don't bleed out. Uh, most doctors don't actually uh, do that process anymore as far as cutting the foreskin. There's a uh, rubber band kind of thing. But uh, even 10, 15 years ago, they would give little boys a shot of vitamin K, uh, day One, day two, after birth, so that they could perform the circumcision then instead of on the eighth day, uh, but that 's one of the reasons Hygienic reason most of your Old Testament commands, in fact, are for hygienic purposes. Um, number two, another reason God could have used uh, for for instituting this covenant command uh, a polemic reason, polemic meaning to debate or debunk keep in mind god 's primary purpose for anything that he does, is to show all people everywhere that he is the one and only God. There is no other. Well, many of the ancient religions around Abraham also practiced circumcision. Archaeologists have discovered cave paintings and clay tablets and writings from thousands of years before Abraham, Uh, also showing pictures and describing circumcision. However, they did it to worship a fertility god. They talk about it being like pruning a tree. So when a boy reaches manhood, 13 to 15-ish age, they would circumcise him then in an effort to please the fertility god and say, hey, bless my child and give him offspring in You know, our uh, response we are sacrificing to you. So, God was using Abraham to combat this false ideology here with what other religions were practicing. This is a particularly big deal for Moses because we know from Egyptian history that the Egyptians had a similar practice. They also worshiped a fertility god, they practiced partial circumcision where they would uh, slit the foreskin. I'm not trying to be too graphic, but this is why the Bible does talk about partial circumcisions. So there's a hygienic reason. There's a polemic reason to to, uh, debunk all the other false religions. There's also a number three sacrificial reason. There's an obedience component to why God instituted this. Obviously circumcision causes bloodshed. It is done on a very sensitive Part of the body because God is serious about us knowing the weight of sin, mm-hmm. the cost of sin. He told our first parents, Adam and Eve, that the consequences of disobedience is death and the wages of sin is death so that's the penalty the penalty then is very severe and in order to pay the penalty there also has to be a shedding of blood which i know sounds like a massive repercussion for disobedience because it is but it the the shedding of blood and the Old Testament, Old Covenant sacrificial shedding of blood helps us, God's people, understand the weight of our sin. And listen to me now, it should also help us understand the beauty of God's forgiveness. Amen. That He would make a way for this penalty that is due to us to be forgiven, uh, that He would shed His own blood for your penalty of sin. Because if a pure and holy God wants to enter into a relationship with an unholy people, there has to be some sort of process to clean up the people. And in the Old Testament, that process involves sacrifice, and once you were made clean, the mark that God would use to show other people that you were one of His chosen people is this mark of circumcision. God is fully within his right to decide how this covenant is going to work, and he decided that was how it was going to work. Until thousands of years later when his son, Jesus, would make the ultimate sacrifice and change the meaning behind the old covenant and ultimately circumcision. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Perhaps the only real reason that we need to address is God told them to do it. And if God said it, then his people should obey it. Because he is God and we are not. But knowing that, the obvious question then becomes well, why wasn't Moses obedient and circumcised his son? Uh, again, this is all speculation, but a couple of things that we do know. First of all, we know that Moses is Hebrew, he is a descendant of Abraham. So we can't use the excuse that Moses didn't know. He knew. He arguably wrote Genesis. He totally knew. And however, uh, we also know that Moses is married. And Moses probably knew the old adage, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And he's married to a Midianite woman whose dad is a Midianite priest Not a Jewish priest, a Midianite priest. And the Midianites trace their roots back to Abraham, but not to Abraham and Sarah, but to Abraham and a concubine named Keturah. So the Midianites are not part of God's covenant promise to be his chosen people that he made with Abraham. It's highly likely... That Moses refrained from completing circumcision because his wife or her dad objected to the barbarous nature of such a procedure. I remember the very first time that I saw a cow get uh, castrated, a bull, and I was like, nope. Not gonna do that ever again and have no interest in seeing that ever happen again. Maybe Zipporah, as Moses is trying to describe what happens, we're gonna take a rock and you know, do this thing. And she was like, nope. Not doing that to my kid and which makes it all the more ironic that it's Zipporah who is ultimately the one who has to reluctantly perform the operation as a last ditch resort to save Moses's life. She clearly does not hide her disgust over the situation when she screams out, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. You're a pain to me, Moses, you jerk. Same thing Laura said when she threw the brownies. Remember, you're a jerk. And again, the primary point here is God has commanded his people to do something. Moses chose not to do it. And God can't have his spokesman setting the tone for disobedience. Mm-hmm. Because even in your life today, you encourage what you allow. And God was not going to allow any disobedience, despite how small it might have seemed. God takes disobedience very seriously, which he has the right to do. God clearly told his people, the wages of sin is death. You earn death by sinning. In other words, every sin has a gotcha, and it's eventually going to get you. And it was about to get Moses. What's James 4.17 say? He who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, for him it is a sin. Moses knew the good he was supposed to do to keep this covenant promise. He chose not to do it. Maybe there's something in your life as well that you know you should be doing, and for whatever reason, you've chosen not to do it. But maybe this will help in this conversation about covenant promises. Let's talk about that word covenant, because Genesis 17 said that God is going to make this covenant with Abraham and all the descendants to follow, and circumcision is going to be the sign of this covenant. I feel like we should talk about that word covenant because here in America, that's a very strange term to us. Everything that we do is contractual. And if you do this, I will do this. And if you offer me goods in exchange, I will give you currency. And if one person doesn't live up to the terms of the contract, then you can immediately disavow uh, the the whole contract. And you sign a contract with your cell phone company. And if they don't give you cell phone service, then you can get a new company, terminate the contract. And if you sign a mortgage, uh, they give you money to buy your house. And then you repay the money the same thing happens with your auto loan credit cards all this we know contractual agreements because everything we do in this country is contractual sadly many people think this is also what happens when you get married it is a contract so if you don't do this then I get to nullify the relationship but the bible tells us that in today's world the best example of covenant that we have is one of marriage and so when a bride and a groom turn and face one another and exchange their vows on the wedding day. That is covenantal language, which have you thought about how weird it is, some of the things that you say to one another in this covenant marriage relationship when it comes to your vows. You say on allegedly the most romantic day of your life, you say for better or for worse. And we're acknowledging on the front end that this could go bad, uh, but that doesn't matter because even if it goes bad, I am with you for better or worse in sickness and in health. Like if everything I love about your vibrancy and your energy and your physical beauty, if it vanishes tomorrow, I'm not going anywhere. I am with you for richer or better horror, right? If we're driving a Lamborghini or we're sharing a Dr. Thunder, it don't matter. We're in this together and uh, until death do us part. This is covenantal language. What's the sign of the covenant of marriage? It's the exchange of the vows and the exchange, the sign that we made these vows of our wedding rings. We have this sign of the covenant, right? This is why you wear your wedding ring. Why you wear your wedding ring. That was easy to talk about. Uh, it's to let people know that you made the covenant uh, with someone else. In the same way, God designed a covenant between him and his people. It happens to be the, the sign of circumcision, the shedding of blood. Because again, God is earnest about us knowing the weight of our sin. Sin that he clearly takes seriously because he has just showed up to kill Moses. Some scholars argue that the text is actually talking about Gershom, that the previous verses were all talking about the firstborn son, and then uh, the, the plague of Egypt with the killing of the firstborn son, and God sending his son, um, so maybe it was talking about the son. Uh, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that the line God has drawn in the sand is stark. It is clear. Genesis 17, 9. Your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. Circumcise your son on the eighth day. When you do, you will have life. You will have forgiveness. You will have a land that I am giving you. You will have descendants. It's going to overflow with milk and honey. When you're inside this covenant relationship, you are going to be blessed, and the world is going to be blessed through your obedience. However, outside the covenant, there is death, there is decay, there is judgment for everyone. Moses has chosen to raise his son outside of the covenant. He is raising his son either as a Midianite or as an Egyptian, and the Lord has shown up to kill him because every sin has a gotcha, and it's eventually going to get you. But what happens? Zipporah knew exactly what the problem was. Did you see how fast she worked? Immediately the Lord has shown up to kill, and she takes care of the problem. That is to say, in the same way that your sin never affects just you, your faith can also help somebody else. Amen. Isn't that good news? That that wayward child that you've been praying for, keep praying. You know that, that uh, the, the times that you came to church without your spouse, keep doing that. I, I shared the example that my mom went to church for 18 months without my dad until he finally came and got baptized and saved, which radically transformed my life. And uh, your steadfast obedience to the commands of God, even when your friends aren't obeying God, you choose to obey God. It makes a difference. But listen, here's why I want to talk about this. Because yeah, the subject matter is pretty weird, but I want you to feel the weight of this. I want you to understand the seriousness of the decisions that you are making. Some of you are playing with fire and you are deliberately disobeying God and you're choosing to go your own way in life. And despite God telling you how to live, you're saying he can wait. Listen to me. Delayed obedience is immediate disobedience. Mm -hmm. Delayed obedience is immediate disobedience. There's consequences to your disobedience. I think so many of us love to hear about the grace and mercy and forgiveness and yes and amen to all of those things, but we can't talk about those things as if there's some trivial uh, thing in our past in an effort to castrate the lion of Judah you tracking with me on that? Jesus is described as a lion and he is not tame. Mm -hmm. We like to try and pull his teeth out in an effort to make our sin more palatable and to make ourselves feel better. But I love that scene in the Chronicles of Narnia when Mr. Beaver shows up and says, safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. And Jesus is good, and Jesus will offer forgiveness to you in order to stop punishment. But uh, yes and amen to that. He's gracious and merciful, and He knows your heart. But if you're deliberately disobeying, if you think you're tricking God, if you're just trying to calm your conscience by making what He has said is deplorable, more palatable to you, I love you enough to say, Stop. Stop. Why are you doing that? Look, we just got done with three weeks of talking about joy because there is great pleasure in life to be had to those who follow the Lord and walk in His obedience. The happiest people I know are those who are in glad submission to the Lord and the most miserable people I know are trying to make it all about themselves. And they just try and do everything they can in this life. And I'm telling you, the more miserable of a human being you are going to become every time you try and make life about yourself. Now, I want to show you something, because I'm sure this idea of circumcision is still freaking some of you out. But check this out, Colossians 2.11. When you came to Christ, got this forgiveness that we've been talking about, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. You can't be sinless, but you can't sin less. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. That's what we believe when we baptize you. That's why you practice full immersion baptism because you lay down in the water, you're dead, you're raised to new life. So you see what he's saying? This is the sign of the new covenant that we've made with Jesus. It's no longer circumcision. The sign is Baptism. We are baptized as a profession of belonging to the family of God. doesn't make you a Christian any more than circumcising makes you a Jew, any more than wearing a wedding ring makes you married. It's a sign, but it's a sign that you're going to obey the new covenant of Jesus. You're letting all the other family members know, hey, I'm following Jesus. I'm in, hold me accountable, encourage me, speak life into me. I'm with you on this mission of God to see his uh, commands to the ends of the earth. Pray for me like a wedding vow. We get into the water. We testify I'm with Jesus. If you're baptized here, you're saying I'm with New Anthem. I'm going to commit to the mission that we're all on as a family. So a couple questions for you. Just to conclude our time together, the first is this. I'll just ask it as plainly as I know how. When you say that you're a Christian, what does that mean? What does it look like? So if if you look at your life and just your heart right now, and if you think about how you relate to God, what does that mean for you? Now listen, I don't ever want you leaving here thinking there is some kind of legalistic checklist that you have to do in order to earn the favor of God. No, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it has nothing to do with what you've done and everything to do with what Jesus did for you. Salvation has nothing to do with what you've done. Sanctification kind of has everything to do with you. And so you're making decisions every day in order to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And the Bible makes it clear that one of the ways you're going to know who belongs to the family of God is by their fruit. And so I would just ask you, as you look at your life, is it marked by the fruit of God? Uh, is there at minimum a desire for obedience, a desire to know and follow Jesus, a desire to submit to him. As imperfect as that desire can be, if it's there, I think you should have some confidence that you belong to the Lord. At the same time, if there's nothing but this what we're doing right now between these four walls, an hour of your weekend, might I submit to you that you're probably not really a Christian. I mean, for as much as salvation has nothing to do with you, like I said, there's more to life than just that one step. Like how you interact with people, how you relate to, To people, how you relate to your spouse, how you relate to your kids, how you relate to your coworkers, how you spend your money. All of that is objective evidence of the covenant that you've made with God. If you're just a moral conservative who grew up in central Kansas and going to church because your parents made you go, but you have no desire to actually get to know the Lord or follow Jesus, I'm praying that God does something radical in your life right now so it doesn't get to the point that it got to with Moses. Because sometimes in an effort to get you back into the sheepfold, our good shepherd might have to break your legs. And I do not want to see that for you or anybody that you know. But the anxiety that that might cause you in your life, even this morning, I will never apologize for. Because sometimes there is a good kind of anxiety that has to deal with the state of your soul. And perhaps if Moses would have felt that same anxiety, he wouldn't have deliberately disobeyed the Lord and he wouldn't have almost died because of it. So that's the first question. You in the covenant, you outside the covenant. Second thing I want to ask is, if you are a Christian, what areas of your life is there either disobedience or delayed obedience? Because again, delayed obedience is still disobedience. So where is it that you clearly know the Lord has been speaking to you and asked you, and you've just decided in your heart that, well, this is just one of those seasons that for whatever reason, I'm just not ready to do whatever God has asked me to do. Because here's one of the more sad ironies of some of the Christians I know. They all long to see the power of God in their lives, and they really don't want to be obedient to it. And I think one of the most consistent places that you'll see this play itself out is in giving. Now, nobody panic. We're not going to pass a bucket. Not here to collect your offering. All right. Jesus talked about this. And at the end of his sermon, he didn't pass a bucket. But what he did say is that if you really want to know where your heart is, you need to look at your checkbook. Now, it's a bad example because nobody writes checks anymore. So uh, you need to look at your budget. And some of you are like, what is a budget? And you need to look at how you spend your money. That's what's really going to tell you where your heart is. That's really going to tell you what you actually worship and what you actually value and how you, what actually is driving your life. That's Jesus that said that, not me. The second thing that you need to look to is service. God help us. We live in a time and area of the country that says church needs to be all about us and it should cater to us. And if I'm paying the bills, they need to have a full staff and I shouldn't have to do anything. Other people should serve me. And so we want to see God work out mighty things through the church as long as we don't actually have to do anything. But there is great joy and gladness to be found in radical submission to the lordship of Christ. And he said, I have not come to this planet to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And we should do the same thing with our lives. Just a couple ways for you to look at objective evidence of am I in the covenant or am I not? At the end of the day, all of this, though, is a heart issue. It's a soul issue. So let me show you one more text very quickly. Romans 2, 28. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But rather, a family of God, a Jew, is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Write this down because this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. To be clean, you must come clean. To be clean, you must come clean. I probably should have said it like this just to be more thematic. Take care of the gotcha before it gets you. You have something going on in your life that God wants to renew and make new and transform your life to lead you into joy. What is it? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Does God help us towards this end to have a desire to follow You? God, I just believe that You're speaking to each individual heart this morning and encouraging them and strengthening them. And in some ways, You're saying, good job. Way to be obedient, way to serve, way to give, way to participate in this family life of the follower of Jesus. And in other ways, you're also challenging us to say, hey, but there's this one other area that you've been trying to hide. God says, I know about that one too. And He's challenging you to come clean on that. Stop trying to hide. God takes this very seriously, so seriously that He had to send His Son to die so that you could be forgiven. God wants to be in a relationship with you. It's just up to you. It has nothing to do with you, that front first step. But after that, God says, hey, these are the boundaries that I've put in place in life. I want you to operate within these boundaries because life is had here. So God, challenge us where we need challenge. Help bring those people into our lives where we can share some of these concerns with. And I would also just challenge you, if you've never participated in that sign of the new covenant baptism you would take that seriously not because it makes you saved but because it's the sign to say hey i'm following jesus so god give us opportunities this week to follow you to make a difference where you have placed us help us grow more like your son and it's in his beautiful name that we pray amen we'll see